Why did God give us the New Testament? Why did He, through the Holy Spirit, reveal what we have here? Why did He preserve this through history so that we can read it today? What is this all about? If we accept, as we do here, that the New Testament is God's message for us, revealed in the way that He wanted it to be revealed to us, worded in the way that He wants it to be worded, in a reliable form that we can read today, we have to ask ourselves the question, why did God give it to us? And the reason we have to ask that question is because as we sit here and look at our New Testaments, we have to ask ourselves, what are we supposed to do with it? And if we want to know what we're supposed to do with the New Testament, we first have to answer, why did He give it to us? This morning, I'd like for us to answer this, and we're going to do this very simply. Instead of me going through and putting verse on top of verse and coming up with some type of structure based on my personal logic about why God gave us the New Testament, I thought it might be good for us to just go through passages in the New Testament where authors said, here's why I'm writing. And I recognize that not every author and not every book in our New Testament has a stated purpose. They didn't just always say, here's why we're writing. But in fact, there are several places where that's exactly what they did. And what we're going to do in the first half of our lesson is we're just going to look at those verses one right after another. In fact, I found 17 of them where it says, here is why I am writing. And when we're done with that, then we're going to back up and ask ourselves, considering the statements from the authors themselves about why this is written, what do we learn about how to use our New Testaments? Before we do that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we humble ourselves before you, so thankful that you have given us your word. And we pray, Father, that you help us to know how to use it, to know how to let it guide our lives, because we want to honor and glorify you your way. Father, you are indeed the great God who created the universe. By your word, all things came into existence. You are the God who, by your might and power, divided the sea that the children of Israel could cross through. You guided them in the wilderness and protected them and brought them into their promised land. And Father, we believe that You're going to guide us throughout our wilderness here so that we might enter the promised land at the end. Father, we ask that You help us to have our hearts enlightened. Help us to know what You would have us do. Father, we love You. And we know that You have promised that all things work together for good for those who love You. And we look forward to that. And ask that You help us to maintain our faith based upon Your Word. Through your Son who died for us, we pray these things. Amen. Well, let's just begin in Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, and I, you know, I did that in the outline too. I put Luke chapter 11. I don't know why that's up there. It should be Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. The Scripture says, in Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, "...inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word had delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught." And we know that Luke, of course, wrote this gospel. He wrote the book of Acts. And this is really an introduction to both of those works. And Luke says, I'm writing so that you may have certainty about what you're taught. Some translations say it so that you may know the exact truth. As we continue on, we're going to look in John chapter 20. John told us why he wrote 
In John chapter 20, in verses 30 and 31, John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, John said, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. Why did John write? So that we will believe in Jesus is the Christ. And why do we want to believe in Jesus is the Christ? Because it's through faith in Jesus that we have life everlasting. So John wrote, so that we might be saved, having believed in Jesus, that we might have life everlasting. Look in Romans chapter 16, verses 25 through 26. Romans, very last chapter. Chapter 16, almost the very last verses. We're going to begin in verse 25. In Romans chapter 16 and verse 25, Paul said, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ... (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) I just breathed in something there. Excuse me. According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. Paul's here talking about all of the prophetic writings, and he said these have been written in order to bring about the obedience of faith, in order to reveal the mystery of Jesus, and through that to bring about the obedience caused by faith. That's kind of interesting. You see how that ties in with John? John said, I'm writing these things so that you might believe in Jesus, and through that have life through His name. Paul said, I'm writing so that you can have the obedience that comes from believing in Jesus. We'll continue on, and we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning at verse 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning at verse 7. Paul wrote there, We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual." Paul points out that he is imparting wisdom. And how is he doing that? Because the Spirit has searched the mind of God and has now revealed the mind and the will of God to men. And Paul says, that's what I'm imparting. So why is Paul writing? Paul says, I'm writing so that you might know the mind and the will of God, that our relationship with God might be deeper, that we might grow in that relationship. We find at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 37, Paul told us what he was writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 37. Paul there said, If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. Paul said, I'm writing to you the commands of the Lord. But let's back up because I want us to see these two and then also back up. When Paul was revealing the mind of will and will of God here in 1 Corinthians, and as he was writing the commands of the Lord back in chapter 4 and verse 14, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 14, he had also said this, 
I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Paul says, I wasn't writing this so that you would be ashamed, but in order to admonish you. However, as we study the book of Corinthians, we recognize that this is an ellipsis. An ellipsis is a figure of speech where understood words have been left out. And the reason we know that is because we take, for instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 5, Paul said, I say this to your shame. Well, now, wait a minute. In chapter 4, verse 14, he said, I'm not writing to make you ashamed. But in chapter 6 and verse 5, he says, I say this to your shame. He says it again in chapter 15 and verse 37. Or excuse me, verse 34. He says, wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Well, how can he twice in the book say, I'm saying this to your shame, but then in chapter 4 and verse 14 say, well, I'm not writing this to shame you. Because you see, that's an ellipsis. What Paul is really saying there, I'm not writing this to merely make you ashamed, but primarily to admonish you. Paul's point is, yes, when we err, we should be ashamed. But as Paul is writing, as Paul is pointing out those errors, it's not just to shame, but to admonish, to gently, firmly, and kindly warn us. You see that? That's what an admonishment is. So yes, we should be ashamed, Paul is pointing out. But that's not the primary reason for writing. The primary reason for writing is so that we might be warned and changed based upon his admonishment, his gentle warning of us. We move into 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9, Paul said, and I find this one to be very interesting, he said, this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Paul wrote to test the obedience of the Corinthians. These things are written to test our obedience. Will we obey in everything? We look toward the end of the book. In chapter 13 and verse 10, Paul also says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 10, the Bible there reads, For this reason I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come and I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Paul says, I'm writing to you so that when I get there in person I don't have to be severe. Do you realize what that implies about what he was writing? He was writing to be severe with them. He said, I'm, I'm being severe with you in my writing so that when I get there in person, I don't have to be severe with you. God has given me that authority so that I can build you up. But I'm writing to you with severity so that when I'm with you in person, I don't have to do that. I think that's very interesting. We'll come back and comment more on that as we get to the lessons. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, this is a rather lengthy reading. But as I was trying to figure out where I needed to stop as we, as we began in Ephesians 3, it just seemed that the... The context continued on throughout all these verses. So let's go ahead and read all of them. In Ephesians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, it says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive or understand my insight in the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. 
This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he was realized, excuse me, that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. Paul says, I am writing so that you might understand my insight into the mystery. What was that mystery? That Gentiles and Jews were going to be brought together into one body. And through that one body, the wisdom of God was going to be made manifest and come to life. So Paul says, I'm writing so that you can understand my insight into what God wants you to know about His church. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1. Paul says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. He says, I am writing these things to make you safe. The New American Standard says it is a safeguard for you. Paul is pointing out, I'm, I'm repeating things to you. I'm writing the same things that I said to you when I was there in person. I'm writing the same things to you that I'm writing to other people and you're reading their letters. Why? Because this is going to make you safe. This is going to warn you away from erring teachers so that you can have a safeguard around you against the errors that others are going to propagate. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, Actually, let's back up to verse 14. He says, I hope to come to you soon. This is 1 Timothy 3 and verse 14. He said, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. He says, I am writing so that you will know how a person is to behave himself and conduct himself as a member of Christ's church. Paul also told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. He talked about why all Scripture was written there. And he said, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Why was Scripture given? In order to teach us, in order to reprove us, in order to correct us, in order to train us in righteousness. But why did he want to do all those things? so that we might be competent, that we might be equipped for every good work. You see that? He wants us to be equipped, furnished, for every good work. We continue on now in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 22. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 22. The Hebrew writer says, I appeal to you, brothers... Bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you in brief. He says, I'm writing to exhort you. An exhortation is an encouragement intended to motivate positive action. He says, I'm writing to exhort you in order to motivate you to proper action. We also look in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 12. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 12, we're coming down to the end of the list. 
1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 12, Peter said, By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. He is testifying to the grace of God. He is exhorting based on the grace of God. And what is his exhortation? That we would stand firm. That we would not allow any persecution or perversion of teaching to turn us away from the true grace of Jesus Christ. And then we look in 2 Peter. This time in chapter 1, beginning at verse 12. 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 12. He says, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are establishing the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at, time, at any time to recall these things. He said, I'm doing this to remind you. And then in chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, he said, this is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through our apostles. He says, I'm trying to help you remember the commandments of the Lord through the holy apostles. And then we look in 1 John chapter 1. In 1 John chapter 1, John said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we've seen it, and testify, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be made complete. John is saying, I'm writing so that we can have fellowship together but not just so that we can have fellowship, but that we might have fellowship with the Father and the Son. And through that, John said, I want my joy to be complete. I think that means God's joy will be complete too. But do you see the point? So that the body of Christ, so that Christians can have fellowship with one another and fellowship with the Father and the Son. That is why the Scripture was written. And one final in Jude. We can turn to the book of Jude. And this time in verse 3. Beloved... Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. He said, I had wanted to write to you just about our common salvation, but I realized that what I most needed to write to you about was to encourage you to contend earnestly for the faith. So it was written to cause us to contend earnestly for the faith. Not just to sit back and, and just hope everybody comes to the faith, but to contend earnestly for the faith. So as we summarize, we recognize that the Scriptures were given in order to correct us in present error, to warn us about possible error, to safeguard us from erring teachers, to encourage us, to admonish us, to motivate us to proper action as members of Christ's body. That's why the Scripture was given. And so as we consider this, and we recognize now that why the New Testament was given to us, we have to ask ourselves, considering all these things that we've just read, and by the way, I know, that was a lot in a very brief time. I'm going to have outlines on the table in the back, in the foyer, that you can pick up and go over them on your own. You'll be able to get online, download the audio from this lesson, assuming all that works well. And you can go over this again. But just very briefly, considering those things, let me share with you the eight things 
that I learned from this that we're supposed to do with the Scripture. Number one, we're supposed to read it. Remember in Ephesians 3, verse 3 and 5, Paul said, when you read it, you may understand. We're supposed to read the Scriptures that God has given us. And remember, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 7-12, through 12, Paul said this is how we're going to know the mind of God. If we want to know the mind and the will of God, we've got to read it. It's not enough to come to the Sunday assemblies and hear somebody else talk about what they read. If we're going to use the New Testament as God intended it, we've got to read it. But that's not all. We've got to understand it. Remember in Ephesians 3, 3-5, through 5, Paul said, by referring to this, you can perceive or understand my insight into the mystery. He had later said in chapter 5 of Ephesians and verse 17, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 17, he said, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He's given us the New Testament so we might know the mind and will of God and we need to read it so that we can understand what the will of God is. Now listen, I understand that there are some things in Scripture that are difficult to understand. Second Peter chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3 at uh, verse 16 says, 2 Peter 3.16, as Paul does in all his letter when he speaks in them of these things, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the rest of the Scriptures. I know that there are some things difficult to understand. I also know from 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5 that our knowledge or our understanding, is a growth process. So I recognize that today we don't understand as well as we should by next week or next year or ten years from now. But we must not allow the fact that understanding can sometimes be difficult and that understanding is a growth process. We must not allow those things to make us think that understanding is optional. There are a lot of folks today that, that tend to believe that because some of it's difficult and because we're growing and, and I'm going to understand it possibly differently in a little while, that understanding is just really optional and it doesn't matter. No, Paul said, understand what the will of the Lord is. That means, brethren, that we have to be working at it. We have to be applying ourselves as we read the New Testament to figure out what did God mean. Because Paul said, don't be foolish understand what the will of the Lord is. The third thing that we need to do is we need to believe it. In John chapter 20, in verse 30 and 31, John said he wrote so that we might believe in Jesus. But think about that. How can I believe in the Jesus about which they wrote in the New Testament if I don't believe the New Testament? We need to read it. We need to understand it. We need to believe it. In reality, how will I ever be comforted by the encouragement offered? How will I ever be corrected by the teaching offered? How will I ever be safeguarded by the warnings offered if I don't believe what it says? You see, it's not enough just to believe in God. We have to believe Him. When He says this is the way it is and this is the way it's supposed to be, we've got to read it, we've got to understand it, and we've got to believe it. That's what we're supposed to do with our New Testament. That's why God gave it to us. So that we might read and understand and believe. But He also gave it to us so that we might take comfort in it. And we need to take comfort in it. 
I think at times, because we look at the commands and we look at the warnings, that sometimes we can get into this mindset that God has given us the New Testament to create just a whole bunch of potholes that we might fall in and end up going to hell. That's not it at all. God gave us the New Testament so we might take comfort in the salvation from Jesus Christ and walk in His path on our way to heaven. We need to remember what it says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 32. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 32, the Scripture there says, Romans 8, 32, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Paul is pointing out that if the Father would sacrifice His Son for us, is, is that the work of somebody who, who's just sitting up there in heaven waiting for us to mess up so that we'll go to hell? Of course not. That's the work of someone who wants us to go to heaven. And He's given us the New Testament so we can take comfort in the salvation that Jesus has offered and follow His teaching so that we can go to heaven and be in fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Spirit for all eternity. The fourth thing that we, or excuse me, the fifth thing that we recognize is that we need to heed its warnings and its corrections. That passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 10 that I said earlier was kind of interesting and we'd come back to it. Paul said, I'm writing to you so that when I get there I don't have to be severe with you. Sometimes as we read the New Testament we recognize severity. In fact, God, through Paul and Romans, talked about us recognizing the kindness and severity of God. And so there are some things as we read the New Testament that appear severe. Warnings, admonitions. Paul says, I'm writing to you so that I'll be severe here. I don't have to be severe when I get there with you in person. Why would God have Paul do that? So that he could be severe here and not severe when we stand before him in judgment. And so there are commands. There are warnings. There are corrections, and sometimes they are severe. And we can do one of two things. We can either get upset and just, oh, that doesn't sound like a loving God to me, or we can accept the fact that God wanted severity here so that when we stand before Him in judgment, He could say, enter in, good and faithful servant, and He didn't have to be severe with people. Because believe me, we don't want the severity that's going to come to some on judgment day. He says, accept the severity now, heed the warnings, Heed the corrections so that on Judgment Day, when we see God in person, there won't be any severity. Sixth, we need to obey its commands and instructions. Also in 2 Corinthians, remember that passage in chapter 2 and verse 9? He said, I'm writing to test whether or not you will be obedient in everything. I understand that obedience is a growth process. I understand that we add to our faith virtue and that that virtue is going to increase. But we need to recognize that God has written this so that we might obey Him in everything. Not so that we can pick and choose what we'll obey, but so that we can be tested to seek. Remember last week's lesson, tested by the Word? Will we be tested and prove ourselves obedient in everything, or will we prove ourselves self-willed, that I'm going to do things my way, the way I feel like doing, and I'm going to show everybody that nobody is allowed to tell me what to do, not even God. You've got to learn to be obedient in everything. Number seven, we need to learn to be limited by its authorization. There in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, Paul said that the Scripture was given to teach us, to reprove us, correct us, train us in righteousness. Why? So that it will make us complete for every good work. It is going to furnish us for every good work. It is going to equip us for every good work. Do you understand what that means? 
What Paul is pointing out, he said, we're not writing so that we can condemn every bad work. We're writing so that we can equip you for every good work. We're not seeking prohibition. We can't look at the Scripture and say, well, as long as God didn't say no, I can do whatever I want. We're looking for permission. When I go to the New Testament, what has He furnished me to do? What is the equipping for this work that the church is about to do or for the work that I am about to do? Because that is what the Scripture says. That it equips us for every good work. Not that it condemns every bad work. Every bad work, there's not a specific thou shalt not. If we ever find ourselves trying to authorize something by saying, well, where does the Bible say we can't do that? That's just not what Paul said he was going to do. Paul said he was writing and, and said that all Scripture, this is a passage, it's not just about Paul's writing, he says all Scripture is written in a way that it furnishes us for every good work. What does that mean? That means that when we use our New Testament, we have to be limited by what it authorizes. We are not set at liberty just because it doesn't condemn something. We are limited by what it authorizes. And finally, we recognize that we need to apply what it says to our individual lives and to the work as a congregation. It seems that more and more, as I talk to more and more brethren, they have the idea that because there's just so much in the New Testament directed to individual Christians, that that means that the churches are left free to do what they want. But we need to understand that the Scripture was written to not only direct the individual Christians, but also direct the individual Christians as they gathered together in collectives. If the Scripture makes the man of God furnished for every good work, then doesn't it make the man of God furnished for every good work as he's working together with other men of God in a local congregation? Not to mention the fact that the great majority of the New Testament was written directly to congregations. How many of these letters were written to the church at Corinth? to the church at Ephesus, to the churches of Galatia. These things were intended not only to direct individual Christian lives, but to direct congregations as well. And as a good example, take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, notice what Paul did directing the congregation. He said, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. He said, I directed the churches of Galatia to do something. I'm directing you as the church of Corinth to do something. We recognize that these things were written not just to talk to individual Christians, but to talk to individual Christians as well as the collectivities that were formed in order to honor and praise God and to spread His gospel. This is what we're supposed to be doing with the New Testament. Again, that was fast. I was booking. A lot of stuff there that we had to get through. And so I encourage you to pick up a copy of the outline. If we run out, go ahead and take the last one. We'll make more. Get it off the Internet. Study it. Take a look and see if this is not what God said about why He gave us the New Testament. And if this is not what we're supposed to be doing with it. I realize that I could be wrong. I realize that I am growing in understanding. And if you think, no, Ed, when you missed it, that's not what it says, or there was a verse that you missed that, that, that changes all that, then please, come and talk with me. Let's, let's find out what God says about why He's given this to us and what we're supposed to do with it. Because, remember, Paul said, don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is.